Hey everybody, we've got an awesome episode for you today. Fresh off South by Southwest, the startup juices are absolutely flowing. Here's this week's prescription. Austin-based VC firm S3 Ventures recently announced their seventh fund, uh, a $250 million fund to continue investing in the great state of Texas. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And AngelList, which we covered in one of our first episodes, is back in the news with a $100 million Series B led by Accomplice and Tiger, their first round in over seven years. Wow. Perlego, the Spotify of textbooks, just raised a $50 million Series B to disrupt, sound the alarm? Not again. <laughs> Fair enough. To disrupt the antiquated textbook industry. And Mojo, a sports stock market, just raised a $75 million Series A from Thrive Capital, as well as Tiger Global, Mark Lore, and Alex Rodriguez. All right, Sam, I think we got our mojo going for episode six. Let's get started with this week's dose. You see here, kid? You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump. This is Venture Pill with your hosts, Sam and Brandon. We're here to prescribe you your weekly dose of venture capital and startup news to keep you informed in the evolving world of venture. Well, wanted to start out with something close to home here in Austin. S3 Ventures raised their seventh fund. They just announced a $250 million fund. And their main thing is they're the biggest venture investor focusing on Texas. So they've been around since 2005, backed by a single limited partner or LP. Quickly for those that don't know what that means, it just basically means that in venture capital, the firms raise money from mostly institutions who provide the money for the fund. So that 250 million in this case is provided by a single high net worth family, which has allowed S3 to invest without the worry of fundraising, um, which is you know pretty unique, I would say, to venture capital firms, whereas most will have to raise another fund and they'll have to raise from several entities or high net worth individuals. Right. It's nice to also not have that diluted ownership and have to reach a consensus or compromise your investments and be able to actually just move with one single LP. Right. So it allows them to invest without worry, uh, I would say. And then, you know, patiently is, is kind of the word that they used in their press release is that they have patient capital. So they're going to make the investment that makes sense at the time. And what they're also able to do is invest over the growth of a company in subsequent rounds. And so I have a personal connection to S3. Actually, I work for Interplay Learning, which is a portfolio company of S3. And they have invested, I think, twice in, in Interplay. So they're a great partner. I, I speak highly of them. And it's exciting to see this large fund for an Austin-based firm. And so just a little bit more about them, and I want to get into a little bit of a talk about Texas and the yes. Austin uh, venture scene. Certainly coming in hot off of South by Southwest this weekend. Um, <laughs> but S3 has made 50 investments since 2005, so they're not doing too many investments. Like we said, patient capital. 
They've got 25 active portfolio companies, and they've had actually 20 exits across uh, that 17-year span. Wow. Uh, a few of which coming recently, we can highlight Alchemy Technologies, which is a fintech company that IPO'd last year, late last year, which is exciting. Level Set, a construction payment company, was acquired by Procore for $500 million. And then one that's near and dear to our hearts here in Austin, Favor, they're like Uber Eats, but acquired by HEB, also a Texas local favorite back in 2018. So near and dear. HEB um, acquiring Favor is just perfect. Honestly, you can't help but smile. You can't help it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, just wanted to talk about, you know, you know, S3 mainly invests, or they only invest in Texas. I think majority of their firms are, or companies are based out of Austin, with some in Houston and some in Dallas. And I think it just speaks like 250 million. It might not be big in Silicon Valley, but that's huge for Texas. And it, it speaks to the growth that we've seen in recent years. Right. And on par with that, you mentioned South by Southwest just a moment ago. I mean, this year, it was absolutely insane to see the turnout from VCs, private equity, startups, tech people, software. That only indicates the rising and just already it's super impressive. There's Silicon Valley, and I've heard people start referring to Austin as the Silicon Hills, actually. And maybe I mentioned that to a few too many people yesterday. <laughs> so I'm really pushing that narrative. But yeah, definitely love S3 Ventures and how they're cent centered in Texas. And we got to meet some great people from S3 yesterday, actually. Shook a lot of hands, had some great conversations. Yeah, they're, they're good guys over at, at S3. Charlie Plouch, their general partner, has been with the firm a while, and he's been one of my mentors, actually, since he came and spoke at our private equity club at University of Texas. So he's, he's been instrumental in, in mentoring me and got me introduced to Interplay in the first place. So... Yeah, I love S3. They're going to go on and do big things. And with that $250 million, that's going to infuse a lot of innovation in Texas. And uh, I think it's really just the start. We may look back at 2022 and think, wow, those were the early days in Austin. <laughs> Seriously. And I, I like to just further expand upon what you mentioned earlier, that they kind of reserve capital to further invest in subsequent rounds and really help add value through the early and growth stages of these portfolio companies, which is just a little bit of a differentiator compared to some other more traditional venture capital firms that we see today. In other news, we were going to cover this last week, but we decided to focus on our interview episode. If you haven't checked that out, great interview with our good friend Jack, episode five. But we wanted to make sure to cover AngelList, which raised recently a $100 million Series B at a $4 billion valuation, which was led by Accomplice and Tiger Global. That's four unicorns. Quadricorn. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't know what AngelList is, it was founded by a renowned entrepreneur and thought leader, Naval Ravikant. It's a platform that provides basically investors and entrepreneurs a way to raise money for their own individual investing syndicates, if you will. So. It'll, it will allow accredited investors to invest in a fund led by, say, Jason Calacanis, who is a, a prominent venture investor, but he has his own syndicate. And individuals can invest through him as they, you know, similar to what we just talked about with limited partners. Essentially, the limited partners in this case are individuals who invest in this individual who then goes and deploys the capital in 
the companies that they're connected to. So this was pretty groundbreaking back when they started, I think, seven, eight years ago. Since then, they've grown quite fast and they've become quite prominent in the space. They introduced rolling funds recently, which allows investors to invest on a quarterly basis commonly, uh, which was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And they recently also announced, which we talked about in, I think, one of our first episodes, a $25 million venture fund of their own. So they're kind of innovating, I would say, in the venture industry with that core product, but also expanding even into venture capital themselves. And what's interesting about this round is that they haven't actually raised venture capital for their company since about seven years ago, which is uncommon, I would say, with a company that's been this successful to grow after raising venture money, but then electing not to. It comes back to what they've been known for is essentially keeping their team really lean and allowing them to stay nimble as they grow whereas other companies might opportunistically raise a lot of money, which in turn oftentimes leads to growing the team at a fast rate, which at the end of the day leads to more bureaucracy that takes away from a startup's ability to really innovate quickly. Right. I think think that has a lot of similarity even with S3 only having one LP in the sense you don't want to get in over your skis and hire too many people expand too rapidly and all of a sudden you've walked away from what you started originally and I think it also tracks back to what Jack said in last week's interview even where a startup company might have an edge over a tech giant like Instagram because it's so much more easy to remain dynamic and make quick changes with a small startup with a lean team than it might be with a huge corporation that's got several legal and compliance factors to work through and has its own image that it's trying to maintain, but also wants to evolve with the times. So we could speculate a lot more about why they chose now and what took seven years in between their venture rounds. Um, so let's do it a little bit, actually. What do you think yeah. of this, Sam? Yeah, it does lead to this question of why are they doing it now? $100 million is a lot, a $4 billion valuation. What comes to mind immediately for me is that, you know, you can only stay truly lean for so long Mm -hmm. if you have the aspirations that I think that they do to become a giant in the space, as they already are. But I imagine maybe they could be eyeing some some more acquisitions. They've made one or two in the past, but nothing crazy. So that comes to mind. And then maybe they just see an opportunity to really take hold of the market We've seen continual expansion beyond their core product, and I know that they're going to continually be innovating. So there must be at least a couple of ideas that warranted, you know, taking on this much money and going after it quickly. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of those points you just made, and I think there might be reasons that we can't even speculate upon because we're not even thinking what they're thinking, but we'll be sure to keep tabs on them, and hopefully there's some more news coming out of AngelList in the in the coming weeks, months, and year. Yeah, I would say we've already covered them in our short, our short podcast lifespan here in the first month or so. It's <laughs> true, and it seems that they keep innovating, keep coming back in the news. So we will certainly continue to cover them. Okay, and now to shift gears a little bit, Sam and I wanted to highlight a startup that recently raised a fifty million dollar Series B. Uh, it's called Perlego, I think. Ap- apologies if I... Perlego. Perlego, even though they're actually a London-based startup. <laughs> yeah. So probably not. But so Perlego, they raised $50 million to expand on their vision of being Spotify for textbooks. So essentially, 
They're taking the monthly subscription model that we all know and love for Spotify, Apple Music, and applying that to academic textbooks. Perlego already has 400,000 paying subscribers who get all-you-can-read access to over 850,000 textbooks, fiction, and other literary pieces that students are assigned as coursework at universities all over the world. This is library of 850,000 literary pieces makes Perlego the largest online subscription textbook service in the world. And to break into the pricing of it, it's got a two-week free trial, and after that, it's $12 a month if you sign up for the annual service. That's, that's actually a really good deal. Right? I wonder what kind of textbooks are, are on there, because we, I mean, we all know close to home, we just graduated recently, textbooks are super expensive. So they've partnered with over 5,000 educational publishers, including the Harvard University Press, Cambridge University Press, really a who's who of textbook publishers. And to provide some more stats and context, I'll sprinkle it on a little bit, a survey from the Public Interest Research Group in the U.S. found that in 2020, 65% of college students reported that they held off on buying school textbooks because of the prices even though they knew that it would likely impact how well they did on those courses. Furthermore, one of the founders cited a stat that about 23% of students drop classes because of the cost of the books required to take them. I mean, that's screaming obvious, like, what is going on? Yeah. Textbooks, everybody's known textbooks have been so expensive, like way too much, you know, beyond the cost of attending a school, especially, you know, larger universities, to, to just add on like a thousand dollars a semester or whatever it ends up being, hundreds. Seriously. And there's, there's nothing worse when you buy a couple hundred dollar textbook and you use it for maybe two weeks in the year. Yeah. Like you could literally do a, a two-week free trial on Perlego and get as much value as you would by spending 250 on a textbook. It's one of those ideas that I feel like, why, why hasn't anybody thought of it until right? this point? It's so simple. But it's, I mean, it, it's clearly got a market already forming with it, and I'm excited to see how they put this $50 million to use, really. Yeah, that's quite a lot. I mean, I'm sure they'll grow. We haven't come across it in the U.S., at least. seems more prominent internationally. Maybe it is due to the large publishers in the U.S. having kind of, I don't know, a stronghold on the market. Certainly. There's, there's a stronghold. And I actually, that's a good segue for something Sam and I just realized while researching Perlego is that tracking back a little bit, I mean, I barely even remember these days, but music piracy used to be super prevalent back in the days of a platform like LimeWire, um, which I know my older siblings know and used frequently. <laughs> um, but so before subscription-based platforms like Spotify and Apple Music emerged, a lot of artists and the actual music creators suffered from piracy and taking away from their bottom line. But once Spotify and Apple Music rolled out and started stabilizing the music streaming industry, I feel like that restored some balance. And if you think about it, it's pretty crazy that you can spend $10 a month for a Spotify subscription and you get access to infinite songs, podcasts, audiobooks, everything in between. Yeah, I, if you think about it, the value of all that music, you know, if you go back to 
when they were sold in CDs or records or even on the iTunes store as 99 cent or dollar 29 songs. Like wow. if you add, yeah, right. Uh, that's like our olden days, yeah. not, to, not to date us. But uh, if you add all of that up in a kind of a total addressable market of, of the value that you're getting in a platform like Spotify, I'm sure that far exceeds the value of textbooks. I mean, it has to be at least in the same ballpark. So it only makes sense to me that $12 a month subscription, it's quite comparable to Spotify, which gets you access to the same value, I would say. Right. And just to close the loop on the thought we had about piracy, we read that there's been a rise of online illegal pirated PDF, like e-textbooks. And obviously these powerhouse publishers would like to put an end to that. And that's what has prompted them to start pairing with a platform like Perlego. Yeah. I feel like the transition from pirated music and kind of the more distributed model of selling songs individually or albums individually largely happened because of the user experience that someone has on a Spotify or an Apple Music, mm -hmm. where the user experience is super easy to find songs that you like and you have access to it all. It only makes sense to me that it would be the same for textbooks and learning resources and I guess that's what dissuades people from using the illegal versions, which are maybe much less easy to read, I would say, to access, to aggregate together, to search, all these types of, types of things that the music platforms have perfected, I'm imagining, Perlego is going to do with textbooks. Right. I'd say Spotify and Apple, the, the market that they have indicates that people are willing to spend $10 a month for better audio quality, not getting a million and one viruses on your computer like you would on a LimeWire type of platform. There's a happy medium of money that people are willing to spend for the quality experience, user interface, and just audio experience and textbook experience, as opposed to going through the hassle of pirating it, but also avoiding the cost of buying an entire album, let's say for music, or buying a $300 textbook for a class that you're only going to need it for maybe half a semester. Definitely. Yeah. So it'll be exciting to see. I hope I hope for future college students and uh, students all over the world's sake that Perlego grows and, and penetrates specifically the US market because it makes a lot of sense and I think it would it would democratize access yes. to yes. <laughs> democratize access to education which is such a prominent issue. This is a good step in the right direction. Yes, my boy is spitting right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like uh, this episode's been going well, but there's that that's something that's, you know, kind of missing. You yeah, know what I mean? a little special something. Yeah. We got some swag already going, but... A little vibe. Yeah, we're missing... Mojo, which raised a $75 million Series A led by Thrive Capital. Also participating in the round were Tiger Global, uh, renowned uh, serial entrepreneur Mark Lore, as well as former New York Yankee mm. Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod. Put um, him in the Hall of Fame. Oh, that's a conversation. <laughs> for Controversial. Time, for another time, my friend. Um, this company, they, they are basically combining passions for sports and for betting and for investing. Uh, so they deem themselves a stock market for sports where you can invest in players in real time 
and you know just as you might in in a public equity stock market that that checks all the boxes for me <laughs> by the way like you know that's that's something that I've always dreamed of and thought of the concept of because I really like how Mojo rewards people that are such absurd fans that they're willing to stay up all night, you know, reading and learning about sports and actually connect a value to being such a super fan of sports and teams. And players specifically with at least how they're starting out is you're going to place bets on players. And this was an idea that the founder, Vinit Barrara, uh, teamed up with two of his childhood buddies, Mark Lore being one of them, and another guy, Lax Chandra, to launch what was always a shared vision that they had growing up for a sports stock market company. So they actually did start a company that relates to this idea that they sold to Tops in 2001. It was called The Pit, uh, which was you know really ahead of its time, I would say, due to regulatory conditions in the late 90s. Uh, so they ended up selling that. It was good success, nothing crazy, and they all went on to do their own entrepreneurial endeavors. Uh, Mark Lore, you know, fast forward to today, the new owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so, you know, connected to sports, certainly, but all entrepreneurial beasts in their own way. I wonder if there's a conflict of interest by being an owner of the Timberwolves. And, well, they're you know. starting in the NFL. I don't, I don't know. That's that true. is interesting. I imagine there are some ownership groups in professional sports that have ties to the betting companies. You're right, there is some concern there. Also, just to add some color to what you were saying about the pit, which was eventually sold to Tops. That, so they, they have the shared vision of a sports stock market company, but the founders actually explained that it ended up becoming more of a stock market for trading cards, more so than players. Right. And that's why Topps is a huge, probably the biggest trading card company, at least in the early 2000s, I know. Mm-hmm. When I was addicted to buying basketball cards and jersey cards, it was always a Topps. Jersey cards. Right? <laughs> it was always... Or bat cards. Yeah. A little, piece of a, yeah, a little piece of a wooden bat in the card. <sighs> I, I Fred never... Mag- Fred McGriff bat card. Nice. That was pretty sick. Yeah, but so I think I just wanted to add this to say that they they had this idea of a stock market like live pricing on players type of idea, but given just the regulatory and economic conditions of the late 90s into the early 2000s, it ended up basically being a market for trading cards, which was a huge success in its own right, but I think all the founders realized it wasn't exactly what they had envisioned, despite being a big success. Yeah, and if you do flash forward to today or in recent years when I think the story they told was that Mark Lohr got back with Vinit, you know, childhood best friends. They said, hey, we should start this. We should try this again and mm-hmm. do, it, do it fully the way we had envisioned, which is, you know, a, a market that is similar to the stock market in that there's full liquidity at any moment. You can cash out of your positions. Uh, it's a seamless experience and it's directly tied to the stats of the player as opposed to just arbitrary changing value of a sports card it's not it's not directly correlated with the player's performance which is really what they had envisioned so i don't know it remains to be seen how they will actually implement this they do have over 40 employees right now and with this raise one could only imagine how much they're going to grow in the coming months they said they're planning to launch this fall just in time for football season 
mainly focusing on the NFL to start. So right. we'll see how it goes. And I, I think this just goes to show that timing is everything because the launch of Mojo has also coincided with the mass evolution of gambling and sports gambling, online gambling. At this point, I feel like every other month there's a new state that legalizes gambling on sports books online. Now you can, you can gamble straight from your phone as opposed to how it used to be just five years ago. Yeah. So I think that the timing really coincided perfectly for the, the mission of Mojo. And yeah, I'm excited to see how it'll go for the NFL this season. I mean, just using my friends as a sample size, there's going to be such huge interest for, in something like this. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who love investing and who love sports. And they're used to sports gambling, but it's not in the same style as the way they invest. And I think there have been a lot of companies that have had this idea. It's not truly an original idea. I'm sure a lot of us probably thought we thought of that idea ourselves. (laughs) And there have been other companies who are tackling this in different ways. Like you said, more sports gambling companies having more success as regulation loosens. and, And states allow it. I would say federally, we're still working towards that. And I think... That would be a huge, huge win for a company like Mojo to, you know, not have as much of a regulatory burden or a hurdle to, to get over. I think it's coming. It's, a, it's probably a matter of time. As more states kind of dominoes will fall. Uh, but again, this is not an easy product to build. Uh, so I kind of wanted to get into this a little bit. You know, we don't have the technical chops to get into the dirty details, but to provide automatic liquidity in a market is no easy feat. I think that's why they're raising this amount of money at such an early stage. Mm-hmm. They truly have to invest in the product, make it seamless. They have to have a certain amount of money to be a market maker. Um, there's a lot of different aspects to this that make it a, a steep challenge, but they must have some sort of progress with, with all these impressive investors and, and operators. And with the timeline of next fall, they must have a clear path to getting there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you think about how complex our traditional stock markets are, so to try to replicate that in this sports setting is, is just an extra layer of com- complexity. I think, as you mentioned, any legislatory change or regu- legislative, <laughs> legislatory, <laughs> any legislative change uh, could really open the floodgates for something like Mojo. And to backtrack just a little further I think this resembles Top Shot almost which is the NBA Top Shot NBA Top Shot yeah which is kind of the digitization of trading cards but more so highlights but that it's kind of interesting because you invest in a highlight for cheap and essentially if that player does well or does something really cool you have the opportunity to flip that for a quick profit So with this becoming a sports stock market, I think it begs the question of what is the sports stock market equivalent of a mutual fund, an ETF? Mm. Yeah. It really makes, the the mind starts racing, honestly. I'm racing a mile a minute, I I gotta (laughs) tell you. No, yeah, that's an interesting question. So like, yeah, I'm envisioning like a user on the platform, say myself, like I wanna build my own mutual fund product that others could invest in on the platform maybe. Mm -hmm. like. I select a hand-picked basket of the best players in the NFL. I mean, dude, think about options. There are so many layers to the stock market that could carry over here. It'd be so interesting to see. I mean, even just efficient pricing, like what makes you someone say, yeah, share of Aaron Rodgers, that's worth $200. 
or someone else say, no, not worth it. I'd rather spend $200 on Tom Brady. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It seems quite complicated, though, because they say that they pegged the value intrinsically to certain stats, but it remains to be seen how exactly they're going to do that. Again, using the stock market as the as the comparison here, you know, stocks are priced basically on quarterly earnings and how they're doing. So imagine if you just start looking at sports stats as in quarter one, Aaron Rodgers threw <laughs> 20 touchdowns, five interceptions, and just all these ratios that could emerge from it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, all of this also comes right in time for March Madness, which I know Mojo isn't quite there yet, but once it has a working model in the NFL, which hopefully this next upcoming season is a great success, the expansion to follow is also absurd with all the sports it could delve into. Yeah, and it makes sense that they're starting with the NFL, kind of the granddaddy of them all, if right. you will, for sports oh, betting. I will. Oh, you will. I know you will. <laughs> uh, no, but I think if you look at the numbers, uh, the handle, which is basically just how much money people are betting, it is heavily weighted on NFL. Right. NFL, it's a great it's a great starting off point, I would say. And yeah, to be able to expand into basketball later on in the year and to really all sports. It's a complex challenge. I'm I'm quite interested to see how they can do this. As this conversation has indicated, there are so many potential avenues and with that so much so many complexities that arise, so it really will be interesting to see how they expand. But I will certainly be keeping tabs on Mojo, yeah. watching them as they hopefully grow. Yeah, we'll provide updates. Hopefully we get some as, as we near the football season. And, I mean, $75 million, that that's going to be a lot to invest in the growth, building out the platform, making sure it's good to go. So wishing them luck. And, yeah, that's our show today. Hope you enjoyed this week's dose of startups and venture capital. Learned a little bit about a Texas VC firm a sports stock market, Spotify for textbooks, and lastly, our, our monthly AngelList update. Absolute pleasure today, man. A pleasure indeed. As always, Sam, I really enjoyed today's stories. And yeah, let's go, uh, let's go South by Southwest right now. I'd say so. Hopefully we see some pilgrims out there. Yeah. All right, signing off. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for your next dose of startups and venture capital on VenturePill. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibes a little okey, okey, dokey. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to do things different. Pleasure, Brandon. Absolute present. Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Just say, say that last sentence one more time.